Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, September 17th. This is episode 202. I'm Tony. I'm Dennis. Tony, you've been on vacation. I have, Tell us about it. I, I have been on the vacation, or more more realistically, I've been on a staycation. I, I, I've not really gone and done a whole lot. Uh, I've put, I say that, I've put 30 plus hours into Baldur's Gate 3 since Friday. Wow. Uh, wow, I knew you were playing it, but I didn't know you were playing it. I I, I have, and and I say that, but there have actually been days where I've not touched it at all. But mm. uh, I, I'm that my actual like my gameplay time that counts on my game isn't nearly as high as my thirty plus hours uh, because I had a point when the first day I played. <laughs> where I wasn't paying attention to the auto saves and I wasn't saving uh, very often. And it turns out that the auto saves are kind of few and far between. So I had to replay like 45 minutes of gameplay uh, Mm. because I hadn't done any saves. Uh, So I got much better about saving after that. Um, And then I've got some other points where I went somewhere uh, when I was way too low level to be in that area And I was trying to do stuff and it was just too hard. And instead of doing the smart thing and leaving, uh, I just kept trying for a while. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was talking to some people on the discord and everyone's like, wow, you got there really fast. I'm like, I don't know. It was just there and it seemed like a place to go. So I went and it, (laughs) and they were talking about all this places on the first opening area and I was like, I think I'm going to go back and level some more. And then I found tons of stuff. I th- I don't think I'd done half the stuff in the first opening area before I went to a different, much mm. harder area. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw that discussion and I thought, okay, yeah, that it reminded me of when I was playing Dark Souls because it kind of just after the intro, it throws you in this space and there's kind of if I remember and I don't, uh, but I think there was like three or four ways you could go from the starting campfire. And only one of them is the right way. All the other ways are way too hard. <laughs> but the thing is the whole game is hard. So it's kind of like, if you don't know, you might get confused and they'd be like, Oh, it's all supposed to be hard. Right. And then you're fighting things you have no hope against and things. So I should probably go ahead and declare for the dear listeners that, we are actually recording virtually today, so if it sounds different, uh, if we we talk over each other more, that's probably why, because I I started my new job on Monday, and then I got a message yesterday saying that the day before I had been exposed by someone to COVID. So just to play it safe, because Tony's got over a thousand emails he needs to get back to when he gets back to work, we are recording separately. So yay. Yay. So... How's your new so job going? So what else going? did you do besides Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say how, how so how's the new job going? The only other oh, thing I've uh, done is read. Yeah. See, this is the talking okay. over each other because we're virtual. Yes. Yes, we love it. We love it. Well, you do like to read. Uh you know, it it went well. It's so, you know, I'm still in that overwhelming phase in the sense that I'm just trying to figure out as much as I can about what programs and everything we do, but also combined with all that initial training about how the county, because it's with the county government, just what all they require in terms of policies and procedures, and they have a lot of their own training separate from the department. So my life has mostly been trainings right now, but everyone's been very, very nice. It's a much larger organization than I've ever professionally worked at. So it's just um, you know a lot of faces and names and things like that. So 
Uh, but I got through the first week and thankfully because of my background, I do know a lot about what we already do. So it's just coming up, uh, to speed with everything that we do specifically, like as a department versus just like, I know these programs and stuff already. Cause a lot of them I've already worked with on certain things, just never at this level of, Oh, well, this is how we're implementing this particular grant and whatnot. So th- that's been pretty good. Uh, of course, I've been so exhausted. I have done very little gaming, uh, but I've done some. So I have completely finished the story in Puzzle Quest 3. I can't remember if I had finished it off of the last episode or not. However, yesterday, I finished the last achievement I wanted to go for, which was a certain amount of equipment. So there are only two achievements I didn't get in that game. One is kill 100 dragons, which there's a way I could do it pretty routinely, but it would take quite a while. And I didn't feel like that would be very fun. And the other was like to get a piece of equipment leveled up to level 50. And the stuff you need to move from level 45 to 50 is months worth of play from what I could tell. So I was like, just dedicated to that. I'm like, you know what? No, I'll go ahead and be done with that. (laughs) You already have Uh, a job. (laughs) Yeah, I already have a job. I really need to get back to focusing more on the Phoenix Wright game because I got through a case on the second game and or, or two at this point. I'm ready for case three. I've actually started it. Uh, but if I keep getting distracted by Puzzle Quest, I'm going to forget how to play Phoenix. Oh, all right. Phoenix Wright, you're not really going to forget how to play it. It's more that you'll forget what clues you've already uncovered and stuff and and where the inconsistencies have been. So anyway, so that's my excuse for all of that. So, But that had been occupying some of my time, and now it is not. I uninstalled it last night, so I'm now free. But you know what we're not free of, Tony? We're not free of pinball. Well, that's good. We'll never be free. But maybe we will be free. Incidentally, uh, there will be a link in the show notes, as there has been the last couple, not in the main links, but in the episode links, I I should say. I have show links at the very end of our uh, podcast description stuff that we have in the show notes. But before that, I always put in specific episode links. So the Fursona shirts, that link is still there. There is now Fursona pint glasses available, which have the Fursona logo, but also have the EGP logo on the essentially the quote unquote other side of the glass. It's it's kind of weird because it's a round glass. So I guess there's not really an other side, but basically there's imagery all the way around the glass. So I finally threw that together because I wore my Fursona shirt that I got on my watches with Dennis live stream yesterday. And we actually had people asking about the shirt that were watching the watch channel, perhaps because your eldest strapped a watch to my crab Sona. That's exactly what so, it was. So anyway, those are available and the link is there. So we do encourage you to explore if you would like to get one. I can confirm that the tri-blend is tri-blendy and super soft, which is what tri-blend fans seem to want. So that's what we did. But pinball, we don't have a lot of news, but I think we have one item in particular that's going to be worth uh, a decent bit of discussion, or at least I want to have a discussion with you about it because I think it's pretty interesting. But let me go ahead and just hammer through a few things uh, really quickly before we get to that part. So first, uh, we're not going to play a game today because we're virtual, so I can't just hand you a sheet of 10 rank random pins that we've been doing. But I do want to go ahead and announce the results of that. So um, because we did play it on episode 201, and just like we did for episode 200, we are having our Patreon members. Remember, you can go to patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers, and it can be as low as a dollar a month if you want to support the channel that way. We very much appreciate it and appreciate all, I think, 49 or 48 of you who are currently supporting us. But you guys who do that get to vote in the uh, who won rank random pins. So 
based off of the last one where you and I, we were very similar on many of the lineups. I think we went three or four in before we actually deviated. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, well, I think, you know, we, we see a lot of games eye to eye a lot. Plus uh, just the ones that happened to be picked. Some of them were pretty clear, like pretty clearly, like these are not top tier and these are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you did win. Uh, You got 46% of the Patreon votes. Uh, saying that your ranking was the best. 31% felt mine was the best. 23% said they wouldn't pick between us. And no one chose the option saying that Pinside was better than both of us. So I did also want to add, separate from that, I didn't really see it on Patreon, but I had some people message in or either they messaged me directly or you know left a comment somewhere. I took a fair bit of grief regarding how hard I was on Genie. You you probably recall because I think we both put it dead last. We did both put it but, dead last, and then and then you you beat it and flayed it and and made everything like you were. Uh, 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 oh, what was his name from Hannibal? Uh, or not Hannibal? Hannibal Lecter? No, no, not him. The other one, not from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, mm. Buffalo Bill. Oh, oh, Buffalo Bill. Yeah, yeah you, you were all telling Genie to rub the lotion on its skin, and you were going to wear it, 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 it's it as a a coat. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, I mean, I was going to say that game is wide enough, wide body that uh, we could probably turn it into a king size bedspread. <laughs> um, yeah, no, a lot of people, apparently, a lot of you out there, for whatever reason, have a fondness for genie and thought i was being too harsh i just wanted to say that i stand by all the statements i made and if anything i was too kind so you can take that with you but you can like whatever games you like we absolutely we we don't game shame here no but we do judge games we judge that one has been judged you can can like them even if we don't that's okay that's right you can like space invaders too i mean i did everyone makes mistakes i make lots of mistakes. mistakes So, enough of the game. Let's go ahead and get into some of the news. Uh, one item that I thought was this came out a few weeks ago, but uh, Haggis out of Australia, they have announced, or perhaps I should say reiterated, because they've said this before, that they do plan on finishing Fathom Revisited by the end of this calendar year, the end of 2023, and it sounds like they are still on pace to do that. So, that is good news for any of you who are still waiting for your Fathom Revisited games. Good. Of course, after that, they will be moving on to the Centaur Revisited. Uh, another item, and these next items are actually both covered in the same article on Nap Arcade. And I do have a link in the show notes, so you can go and read the Nap Arcade article. It actually touches on more than just these two items. But there are two items in particular, one of which we're going to have a discussion on. But the first one, which we are not going to have a discussion on because it's not really that interesting, <laughs> is Stern is doing their final run of Guardians of the Galaxy Pro. I actually had originally forgot until like last week that this was even still technically in the production line. Like they were still making guardians or still were saying they had the ability to make guardians, but yeah, I was to say, I thought guardians was done like a while ago and that, and they are done with the giant Groot arms premium versions, but apparently, and this does sometimes shift. So I, you know, I wouldn't say take this with a grain of salt, but just be aware that this can move. But currently, Stern Pinball is slated to do a final run of the pro version of Guardians in December. So if you're wanting to get a new inbox game, there is a chance. That's what I'm saying. 
I'm saying there's a chance that you can go ahead and place an order with a distributor and pick one of those up. It is a fun game. I, I do enjoy it. And I definitely see why they still would do a pro and not the premium because that was the last game that really stood out to me of a why would you get the premium? All it seemed like you got were giant Groot arms covering part of the play field. So I didn't understand the value in it. But the pro played the pro a lot and it's a lot of fun. It is. Code got to a really good place on that game. All right. And then the second item in the same article with the same link in the same show notes is about a company we haven't talked about, I think, since 2018, Tony. And that is Circus Maximus. Oh, wow. So, yes, you're probably going, what did Circus Maximus do? Well, I'm glad you thought that. So allow me to elaborate. According to Nap Arcade, they have failed. And by that, I mean they have indicated to Jason Knapp of said Knapp Arcade that they are not going to produce Pinball Circus. They are not going to produce Kingpin. I'm so and in shocked. Fact, the rights to those games are no longer in their control, according to you know, when you go online, you check like the trademarks and all right. that stuff. Anyway, J- Jason elaborates a lot more in his article on Knapp Arcade. So I'm going to encourage you to read that for the details, should you care. However, I wanted to go ahead and, and, and talk about talk about this because i i yeah the the shocker thing <laughs> is really worth exploring so i just wanted to point out a few things before we did uh we do that so the there was an article also on nap arcade i don't have the link to this one in the show notes but i believe it was from april of 2022 so a little over a year ago where it was indicated that the kingpin project was still alive at that point so something has changed from april 2022 to september 2023 I think, but I couldn't remember exactly. I think it was 2018's Texas Pinball Festival where they had the Kingpin prototypes of the Kingpin remake available for play. And you and I played it. We did. It was it was either 18 or 19. It was pre-COVID for sure. Uh, and it was one of those games that it was, it, it was okay. I seem to recall while we were in line, somebody blew that game up. Steve Bowden. Yes. So yep, it was Steve Bowden. So it was definitely a there item. Uh, I, I specifically remember playing it, but I'm not at all surprised by this news. The only surprise, I mean, to me, this news isn't anything more than just publicly saying what everybody already knew. Yeah, I would say the main thing is a lot of everybody's probably forgot that this was a thing at all, but the Kingpin game generated those prototypes generated a lot of buzz. There was, there was a lot of excitement. Do you remember, do your member berries go back enough to remember that they were selling Kingpin translites? And part of that deal was if you ordered a Kingpin Kingpin translite, like had the one of the signed ones, it got you a guaranteed place in line to buy the remake. And the earlier your translite number was the earlier you were in the line. I don't remember that. I remember them selling stuff, but I don't remember the, the special Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I had to do research to remember. I didn't. Re- my my Pepperidge Farm did not remember that either. I, that came up in some of my research. I do remember the tables because they were at other. See, I thought this was, and again, I I really don't remember the year as well. But I think the year listed in the on uh, when the online systems was for Kingpin in 2018. I think it only came to the one TPF. But Circus Maximus, I thought, was a regular, including at 2019, where they would like have a table with a lot of old. Uh, you know, art and drawings Mm -hmm. and stuff. And they were selling those. And I thought the whole thing was, you know, rather than do the pre-order model, 
They were doing the, hey, buy this stuff, and we're using that to support the company's projects. So let's go ahead and have a bit. You've already you know, touched on a number of the elements about this and it not being a surprise. But for the discussion, uh, what I thought would be interesting is to, to briefly describe kind of what Circus Maximus was, or as best as I can remember, because I did not go and re-research all of this. But from what I recall, that company will 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 say I, I think it was set up as as one uh was was established uh there were some of the individuals behind it one or more who had known and were friendly with python angelo who was the famous artist slash designer more known for his art uh with williams and with capcom and when he was dying uh they had made a promise to him that they would make Pinball Circus, which Pinball Circus is the weird vertical gameplay thing. It's at the Vegas uh, Pinball Hall of Fame if you want to play it. I think only a couple were made. I think someone, I think a private collector owns owns the other one. And so a lot of people kind of like it, like it's an interesting gimmick. It was just a really creative idea. So the plan had been Circus Maximus was established to go ahead and make uh, Pinball Circus. The thing is, Pinball Circus is so unlike a traditional pinball game that putting it together was very ambitious and very difficult for them and was going to be very expensive. So around this 2018 period, 2019, whatnot, they had said, okay, we're not going to start with Pinball Circus. It's too hard. We're going to go and do Kingpin, a Capcom, another Capcom game that kind of like Big Bang Bar didn't really, they made a few of them, but they didn't really get out there. And We'll let people buy Kingpin. That's like a traditional pinball machine. So we'll be able to build Kingpin, sell Kingpin, and then we can reinvest the profits from Kingpin into being able to accomplish the Pinball Circus project and fulfilling our promise to Python. So that's kind of where that came from. Now, I personally have never played Pinball Circus, and I've also had very little interest in the concept itself as a vertical game. Having played Kingpin... The two things that stood out to me was it, I believe that's a Mark Ritchie designed game. You know, it was very flowy. It was fun. A lot of people who are at that TPF were noting how easy it was to progress through it, but that is also pretty, you know, typical for a 90s game. So all that sort of stuff. It's kind of what you would think. It's kind of like a typical 90s game, but it was from a company that didn't get a whole lot of games out there, and this one never made it into full production. So I thought it was a smart strategy. But as you noted, if you had known about this, this news about them basically, you know, I don't know if I want to say giving up, I'll just say failed. This news of them failing is can't be a surprise because they, it was after TPF, everything seemed like it was downhill to me. I don't know what your impression was, but it seemed like they just didn't accomplish anything. Like it didn't come back to more show. Like it wasn't at more TPFs. They weren't doing regular news stuff there. It sounded like, right after it and there was that when hype was highest and hottest because there was a lot of positive reaction to it at the tpf we played it at it sounded like they were trying to find a contract manufacturer to do the build and then nothing happened but i don't know what your recollections are uh yeah i recall the same uh there was a lot of hype at least at that show but that could just come down to being in show hype everything that is new at a show is hyped heavily at the show uh, and for a little while afterwards, it'll be real big. But if it doesn't, if nothing keeps it in the public eye, it'll disappear. 
And that's what this is. This has never felt like a real big uh, uh, professional, like going for broke giant project. It's always felt like uh, a labor of love fan project. Uh, It's more akin to uh, a custom build than something specifically made for production really uh and there's nothing wrong with that but i really lost all sight of it you just would hear about it every once in a while somebody would bring it up and you'd be like oh yeah yeah i i vaguely recall that existed uh and then it goes away and i'm not like i said earlier i'm not surprised with it having a complete disillusion at this point uh especially to continue attempting to put something together that you were not able to put together when we were in the period of time pre-COVID, when the economy was solid, and then immediately after COVID, when the interest in such things was so high and the economy was still in pretty good shape, to now where the economy is flat in the toilet and interest is dropping and there's just no path forward. And I can definitely understand the decision that there's no path forward. Yeah, no, I'm not like from a business decision standpoint, I I do think it makes sense to go ahead and, and say, I want to say announce, but I think they only answered this because nap asked them, but, but to go ahead and formally pull the plug, I, I do think it's the right answer. Uh, they, the communication approach out of circus Maximus was bad the entire time. they, came with all of this buzz and hype and interest generated out of that Texas pinball show. They had a period uh, where I think they could have, you know, strike where the iron's hot as the expression goes and done something. I never fully understood, but of course we don't know all the details why they could not resolve. If the issue was finding a manufacturer to do the build for them, it made very little sense to me that they couldn't actually find one. American pinball had been, had been, and after this point continued to, and probably still continues to talk about its willingness to do something like that. We saw them do it with legends of Valhalla. We know that up until the acquisition, pinball brothers was relying on Pedretti, I believe gaming to do their builds. So like everyone's been finding contract manufacturers. This may have been a little too late, uh, uh, to use Spooky, for example, which used to do a lot of contract build stuff, like I'm thinking Jetsons, Dominoes, things like right. that, and then moved away from it. But I, it, it's felt like, yeah, it felt like it wasn't a really serious endeavor because if there was a serious will to get it done, I think more progress would have been made than what we saw. Um, I, you know. Again, I don't care person like I don't care whether they were going to succeed or fail. It does it doesn't matter to me. Uh it would have been interesting to see Kingpin actually get out there. Uh we've seen other remake style approaches do very well. Obviously, Chicago Gaming has essentially relied on that on its from its pinball side forever, up until when they finally get pulp fiction out. But I I think the lesson here, if there is a lesson for those of you who are who are really passionate about something, I think the lesson to take away is maybe don't make promises you can't keep to people. So, because uh, I think it seemed like, and maybe this is unfair, so I apologize if it is unfair, but it seemed to me the the reassurance that we always had was was no Circus Maximus is going to do this because they promised Python that they would not about Kingpin, but they promised that they would do Pinball Circus, and 
I think, you know, making that sort of promise without really understanding the scope of everything that was going to go into it was a huge mistake, but whatever it's done. So. Yeah, I can understand, uh, the situation, but sometimes even with the best of intentions, you can't complete something like that without prohibitively causing damage to other people or to your own personal financial situations. And I remember I won't, because I'm not, I'm not interested in, you know, like blaming, I'm not blaming anyone. This sort of stuff happens, but I remember hearing this was years after when I was start already starting to forget about this. I think uh, that uh, another podcast that I was listening to in pinball talked about then go into any detail, but just one of the, one of the hosts was like really assuring, like no circus Maximus is serious, even though we weren't hearing anything about it, that this stuff was still going to happen. And obviously that was not true. And, um, I just think it just reminds me of a, of a lesson that I feel like we never learn in pinball because and it comes up in slightly different forms, uh, time and time again. And I'm thinking, from the really blatant stuff like Deep Root and Skip B to the more nebulous stuff like uh, what we saw with uh, Cosmic Carnival out of, I'm already forgetting the name of the company that did that one, and uh, Highway Pinball, where there are all these warning signs about failure, and then there are always people in this hobby that are like, no, it's, it's, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Now, in this case, because there was no pre-orders, the loss of this doesn't really hurt anyone. Yeah, there are probably a few people that are going to be really upset who bought those translites uh, because they they weren't interested in the translite. They were interested in a, for their place in line. But uh, in the grand scheme of pinball failures, this one doesn't really damage people. So no, I don't. That's think why so. I think it, like if Circus Maximus were to want to come back in some capacity, they probably could with no real blowback. The thing is. Uh, my hope would be quite frankly, I mean, like if I were, if I were a potential investor, I'd say, don't know, you had plenty of chances to try and salvage this and you, you chose not to. And so just, just let it be done. Just accept that this was not, this was not a project that anyone was, was involved, was equipped to do and just let it sort of slink off into, into the forgotten lands. Don't worry. In a couple of years, no one will remember this. Well, I mean, there'll be a few of us who will, but, but by and large, I mean, it's not, it's not going to go down in, in infamy or anything like that. It's just one of, it's like great lakes pinball and expose. Weren't they supposed to come out with a game called expo? No one remembers just me and Pepperidge farm <laughs> because it didn't happen and no one lost money. So who cares? You know, it's like that. So, Hey, as far as uh pinball failures go, this is no big deal. It's fine. Yeah. No, but anyway, I thought it would be a fun discussion just because we happened to play that game. Yeah. So I, thought, I mean, I, yeah. and I did enjoy Kingpin. It, it was fine. It was nothing spe- super special, but it was, it was enjoyable. It definitely was not a game that fell under the qualification of a real stinker. <clears throat> mm. Oh no. I mean, I would have rather had Kingpin than genie. Oh, I mean, that, it was, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't a game. It wasn't a game I would have ever entertained buying either. So, it's fine. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for pinball, pinball games. So we can move over to video games. We did actually get a review in on a Steam code. Did we? Awesome. It, we, well, we kind of did. But I said I'm, I told them I was running with it because I thought the email, <laughs> I thought the email was good enough to serve as the review. So 
Thank you, Dave P., for submitting this video game review for uh, for one of the Steam codes we provided. Incidentally, let me – you'll hear my paper here. I'm pulling out my sheet. I have three Steam codes left. So email eclecticgamerspodcast.gmail.com if you would like a free Steam code. Anyone who does not have a pending review may ask for a Steam code. So if you've already done one, you can get another one. But I need to already have the review in. If, if, you, wanna, my, if you want to be hurt. That's my rule. You want to be hurt? You can have yes. another one. Well, well, we thought maybe these were all bad because most of the reviews have been pretty not great. Uh, I think that's a, f- a, f- a fair descriptor. Uh, uh, let me let me give you a little 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 secret thing that I have vaguely considered. Right this second, Humble Bundle has a special going. Oh no! Don't no from Tales no. from Wales, which is an FMV choice driven game uh comp production company out of the uk that makes nothing but games about uh that are all full motion video old school pick the conversation route type games and i have seriously considered purchasing the entire bundle just to gift the codes to people I mean, they've got they've they've got one that's a full FMV millennial dating one, and they've got one about a couple scientists trapped in, in a in a in a room or building when there's a biological outbreak. I mean, it's all sorts of fun. I, we're trying not to drive the listeners away, and I worry. This format worries me. The night trap approach worries me. <laughs> the night trap approach. Yeah, what was the that full motion oh, video? Yeah, it was. Uh, and sewer controversial sharks. too. Oh, sewer oh, sharks sure. or something like that. It was like robot submarine things, like mm. like one man I, robot submarine things. It was all FMV. I played one called the Seventh Guest. <clears throat> I remember. Oh, I remember the Seventh Guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was. There were some decent ones. Uh, I, that was a long ago. That, that that was in the long ago, back when they. Well, I mean, there were some other ones that they weren't all FMV, but they. The big thing was there all of the all the later like Wing Commander games that were yes, full FMV yes. for all of their uh, all all of their like actual story stuff. And then you'd Before go for you figure it out that you could make more money doing Star Citizen and not doing anything. Oh yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, those were fun games. They were I liked fun Wing commanders, and they made Mark Hamill <laughs> the main character. <laughs> that, uh, that was where, and I think it was you who told me about how that's because what Roberts was he wanted to do Star Wars, and when he couldn't have the rights to it, he did Wing Commander. Mm-hmm. But then, as the technology advanced, he started to make it look more and more like Star Wars, which kind of irked me. Yeah, but <laughs> some of the later Wing Commanders I was less happy with because they'd gone away from what I thought was some of the fun, quirky things of the game, but they were still, they were still enjoyable. I enjoyed all of them. Even the, even the really lame later ones. Hmm. So anyway, speaking of older games, that's what it turned out to be in the case for Dave. So Dave P submitted this and I will now read what he wrote. Thank you. Finally got around to installing this, and the code was for the original Doom. Nice. Not sure how much. Not sure how much of a review I can give. It's the game everyone played. 
I haven't played it in years, but it looks and plays the same. The only thing I noticed was different was I could use an Xbox controller to control the game compared to keyboard. Thank you, Dave, for the review. And that I think that was probably sufficient because, yeah, you, it, you almost assuredly know the original Doom if you're listening to this podcast. Right, right. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who've heard of it, not actually played it. Maybe a few, but I maybe. mean, back in the I mean, day, it's like a. It's an arcade, like, isn't it an arcade game you can play in one of the, like, in the new Doom or the, or, or, like, there's a way to play the original in one of the new ones. It's like. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me. I (laughs) I thought, maybe not. Maybe I'm just remembering playing the original Wolfenstein in the Wolfenstein remakes, but. Maybe that's our new versions. But anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, Yeah, it's Doom. So, yeah, you either, you either know it or you don't. The, I thought it might be interesting, just real briefly. That what when getting this review, quote unquote, I'm air quoting review in. Uh, do you remember uh, the science lab stuff and playing Doom Two? I, I I do. Okay, I, I, I thought that might be a fun a fun little story. So Dave, you've triggered member berries for us, or at least for me, and now Tony is member berrying as well. So I'm going to tell it uh, as best as I can recall, and you can correct me where I'm wrong because I don't remember things well from the '90s. But in high school. You know, computers were still for for schools a pretty young technology. There weren't a lot of IT professionals that were really involved. Basically, the computer science teacher might run the network as well. But this was back when we were still like using daisy chained together computer networks with T connectors and stuff. It was it was not the modern Cat six and much less Cat five or, or I should say or Cat five or anything anything with the regular LAN cards. I don't believe, but. I'm 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 meandering. So some of us uh were in uh a physics class. We were in AP physics and so we had computers at our disposal. And the way AP physics worked is our instructor whenever we would have a test at the end of each sort of chapter or section, the next day we would go over the test results to understand what we got right and wrong with the teacher. And then there was never enough time to go ahead and just start the new chapter in the teacher's mind. So we were just kind of given free time, which ended up being most of that particular period. Now, Tony, at the same time, he didn't take AP physics. He took journalism. And that meant he had like free reign to roam around the school to find scoops. And I stuff. will have I you know. know that scoops, <laughs> it had nothing to do with scoops. I was the photo editor and the dark room because this was pre-digital camera was back in uh, the storage and prep area for the science labs. Oh, okay. So that's why I had free reign to go because I was working in the dark room uh, during my journalism class, getting pictures printed and stuff ready for layout and for the newspaper. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. No, so no scoops. But – because Tony would be back there, we wouldn't have anything else to do. We were done with going over with the test. We always kept hidden copies of Doom 2 for install on the network. We kept them around. Because the game, we'd, we'd install it, but inevitably would get uninstalled. But games were small back then, so it didn't take that long to get them installed. So we would go ahead and we would install Doom 2 on computers, and then we would play networked Doom 2 Deathmatch for the rest of that period. And that's what we did for like every chapter we finished in physics. Yeah. No, we kept a bunch of, because this was the old school school network 
where they tried to run an antivirus check one time. And every time it got to my personal user account, it crashed. Mm. And the reason it crashed was because of uh, I, because of newspaper, had a uh, file structure that was like 50 some odd levels of files deep, each with protection on them so they could not be deleted because there was a spot where we stored all of the, I, I was the backup for all of the fonts uh, okay. used for the newspaper. But because it was, you know, <clears throat> 1995, when the uh, computer virus scanning programs hit a file structure that was just that, that deep, um, it just locked up. It, it, mm. it would just lock the entire thing up. And I got called into the office to explain what was there because they were getting ready to just flat delete my entire user account. Oh, <laughs> now they did flat delete one of my things once. That was a, that was, I remember this cause I thought I was going to get in trouble. So, because what, because there was no good reason for me to have done this other than it amused me. <laughs> so again, I was a, you know, I was a teenager. I was easily amused by things. So I had a file. I had a, like a word perfect style. I had a text file, essentially a word processing file. And it was massive, massive. And by massive, I mean just many, many megabytes. And so what would happen is when I was just bored and had downtime, I would load that file up. And I would, it had a lot of like things I had written just like, so if you were to open it, it would, you'd start reading it and it'd read like, just like normal stuff, like a story I wrote or uh, a paper or whatever. And so I just took multiple things I had done as projects and I put them all in one document, but then I would copy the document and paste it to the bottom and I would do it again, <laughs> you know, exponentially it would grow every time. So, cause my assumption was, well, you know, no one's ever going to read down like 30 pages of some high schoolers writing. So I was just doing it to make as big of a file as I could. The, so one day I got back from a, I don't remember it was a field trip or what I, I, I was out of the school. I think I came back in and I was, I got called into the, the it computer science person's office, whoever she was, who, who oversaw the network at that, that year. And so I thought, oh dear. Because uh, they wanted to talk to me about my files, and I thought, "Oh no!" They realized that I have created this <laughs> monster BS uh, document <laughs> that serves no purpose. And I just thought, "Well, I don't know. I've never been suspended before, but I don't <laughs> think that's going to be very because it's going to be like I thought. I had cloaked it pretty well. I thought I was pretty clever back then. Anyway, so I, I get called into her her office, and she is super apologetic. She's like. Dennis, I'm so sorry. We ran out of network space, which was part of my motivation for what I was doing. I was filling up more. Like I could see I was, I alone was physically making this huge difference on how much network space was left. Cause there just wasn't, I mean, people need to hard drive space was expensive back then. So I just filled up so much of it with this one file, but she's apologetic. Cause she's like, I saw you had this document, like the, the name of the file is something like, 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 uh, you know, like, I don't remember what I call it, like ma uh, social science final report or something, you know? So she's like, I tried to back it up, Dennis, but it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit on a floppy disk. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to back it up and we had to delete it. I, I'm so sorry. I hope I, you know, do we, 
I think she was like, if I was going to have to explain it to an instructor or something. And I don't remember. I was so relieved. I think I just said something like, it's okay. It was a backup. <laughs> so, I just, so that was the death of my like 20 megabyte word, uh, word perfect file or whatever it was um, that I just did because I was a little punk, I guess. I it, don't know. It was computers in the 90s in schools were weird. Like, I know I had. I had a computer file in my uh, 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 personal thing that my girlfriend could log into my could log into my account. I could log into her account, and we both had like a file that was listed, and it was just what we used because there was no text messaging because there was no cell phones, mm-hmm. there was no IMs. It was just basically a chat file where one of us would log into the other's account and do chatty type stuff in a word file in there mm. on their thing and then close it. And then whenever one of us was in the, in a class where we had to get into the computer, we would open it up and just to see what was there. So it was a weird yeah, for time. That, oh yeah, it was. And so for people wondering, how did we keep uh doom <laughs> around where we didn't need to pull out the discs and install doom? We did doom and doom too, but, but doom two was the main one we played in the science lab. The, the trick was pretty simple. So they would go through, they would, you know, search the network and purge exe files was how they kind of ha- would get rid of it originally. And so what we learned to do is just change the extension to a document. So we'd, and this was, you know, doom two was smaller than my massive thing. <laughs> like it wasn't a big thing. So you could just call it whatever you wanted. Like, uh, like, uh, English story one Oh one dot doc. And then when it was time to play, we would you'd rename it to .exe, run the installer, have the game on there, and then we'd play. So that's how that's how we uh, we kept it on the network. Uh, good times. Yes. So thank you, Dave P, for the review because it at least it triggered the member berries. But moving beyond member berries, Tony, I know you have some modern video game. Stuff. I do have some modern video game stuff. It's been an interesting couple of weeks in video gaming um couple little things uh steam turned 20 on the 13th uh mm. i had not realized it had been 20 years until i saw that and i'm like man that makes me feel Feels really like old only yesterday you were hating on steam <laughs> uh i used to hate steam real bad and now it's the 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 better of the evils of that type of thing so uh Another kind of biggish thing, um, E3 has confirmed there will be no E3 in 2024, which we already knew uh, mm-hmm. from those reports to the LA Council uh, about that space being released. They've confirmed that that space has been released. <clears throat> they are also no longer working with uh, the the ESA is no longer working with the company that they had worked for worked with to set up the last or attempt to set up the last couple in-person e3s which is the same group that puts on the paxes uh, they're no longer working together and the esa says they are looking to do a complete reinvention of e3 for 2025 <sighs> it's dead why do they I, why do they struggle i just let just they need to pull a Circus Maximus and just say, you know what? We can't do it anymore. We just, you just got to let it die. Just end. It's just over. Just end. No one's going to, no one's going to blame them. Just let, just end it. 
it's not been important in years. So nope. because everybody saves all of their big important stuff for their own personal directs. Like mm-hmm. Nintendo's direct they had. That's right, a big one. They had a pretty big one. Uh they released a new trailer for the Paper Mario Thousand Year Door uh remake. No release date other than next year. But I know that game, we've had that conversation in here on previous episodes. That game has a huge draw and a huge call. People are really looking forward to that one. Uh, They released a big thing on the Princess Peach Showtime, which is the new Princess Peach Dress Me Up game. Uh, Mm. uh, And when I say that, I make that as a joke to the Final Fantasy X-2, where every time you changed jobs, it was a job system. And every time you changed jobs, your characters changed clothes. Uh, yes. for whatever job they had. Cause this is here in this, it's pretty, uh, the, it's the same type of thing. Princess peach changes clothes and becomes a swordswoman or an investigator or a pastry chef. So yes, people sometimes hear us refer. We refer to this style of gameplay, which is very common in a lot of Japanese games as make you make you dress up. Yeah. So, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Is this the first really big princess peach primary game i think it's the it first is i know of i mean there might have been some other small things but for like a big game big game most of their other announcements were old ds and um game boy advanced titles that are being ported to the switch uh but the one that i really liked is they're bringing back f-zero kind of uh F Zero, <laughs> the, the original birthplace of Captain Falcon, uh, uh, is coming back, but it's as one of their 99 player games. So they're calling it F Zero 99, and you'll be racing 99 other players in F Zero stuff. Uh, I played Tetris 99 uh, a little bit when they'd originally released it, and uh, I never played Super Mario 99. But I did play Tetris 99. And this is the Battle Royale system where they basically release the game and it's like a race. And as you get eliminated, you're just flat out. So the Tetris 99 was a lot of fun. And that's where I found out that, no, I I, I really suck at Tetris. I'm like really bad at Tetris compared to people, apparently. Yeah, I, I knew someone who was most excited about this Nintendo Direct because F-Zero was going to be talked about. And then when it was F-Zero <laughs> 99, they were so pissed. Oh, so the pissed. rage. The rage must have been palpable. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I I don't know. I, I It's like, uh, I asked, like, well, what did you want? And it was like, anything but this sort of <laughs> stuff. And I was like, come on, it's F-Zero. You should be happy. F-Zero was such a popular game that they've basically just ignored ever since yes is it was it f-zero that that guy bought that one share of nintendo stock to ask about at a shareholder meeting i thought so i thought it was too but but maybe this is what it got imagine what he could have got if he'd bought two shares (laughs) maybe that would have been a remake of the original i don't know (laughs) i mean they're remaking everything else anymore um Mm -hmm. Following up on some other stuff we've spoken about, uh, the Embracer Group uh, is looking at cutting loose Gearbox Studio. Uh, 
That surprises me just because I would have thought of all the stuff they've been massively acquiring, I thought Gearbox was going to be like a long-term moneymaker. I would have thought so because they just bought Gearbox like a year and a half ago. Uh, And the thing is, is Gearbox is huge. They make the Borderlands games and... And all of the Borderlands games have sold pretty well and been fairly popular. Even like the least popular Borderlands game has was fairly popular. But mm-hmm. no, uh, apparently there was an internal notice released to Gearbox people saying that nothing is confirmed. Uh, there are several things being talked about and some stuff up in the air. But they are looking at being sold. So it would be a sell, not a complete shutdown like they did uh with uh uh volition so right uh yeah i would imagine they could get money out of gearbox oh yeah you should be able to get good i mean gearbox put out uh tina's the the tina game just last year and it was very popular as i recall uh Mm. which was the borderlands 3 spinoff game so to uh oh part of the nintendo direct is they did release that video message from charles martinet uh uh about becoming the mario ambassador Uh, i don't know if you saw it i did not it's kind of awkward it felt awkward but i always think those direct release things that nintendo does uh like that feel weird where it's just a person sitting in front of a giant white expanse talking it always feels a little strange to me, but this one felt really awkward. Uh, and in a recent convention, uh, he said that he doesn't really know what all the job entails and that we will find out together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's not retired because he's a Mario ambassador, but he's uh, kind of always been a Nintendo ambassador. So he doesn't know if there's anything different or if it's just that he doesn't voice characters anymore, but mm. <laughs> it was definitely, I, I recommend finding the video. If you've not seen it and watching it, it is, it is a little weird. Um, just a little weird. The big thing, uh, news wise, two items, one potentially huge and the other quite large, Unity, uh, an engine used to make games, uh, very well-known games, Hollow Knight, Cuphead, Outer Wilds, um, a bunch of other games, uh, has announced a change to their business model. They are going to be introducing a new fee that is per new game install. Uh, and to say that the developers were upset would be an understatement. Uh, it, it is the first time I think I've ever seen multiple, uh, releases from multiple different groups, uh, that literally say that the company making a change is insane, uh, because that's quoted in two of them. Uh, and since we'll be bleeping that it is the F bomb dropped in multiple releases from different groups talking about it. Because the change to the business model will affect games that are across a certain threshold. Don't know what that threshold is of success. Uh, they will be charged a monthly fee. The developer will where for every number of installs that happen in that month, they'll be charged a fee for that. Um, because. 
because things work differently with uh, uh, stuff like Game Pass, instead of the developers being charged that monthly fee, um, the owner of the distribution system like Game Pass, so Xbox, will be charged that monthly fee. Uh, They have backed up and made some clarifications. Uh, What constitutes an install is going to be decided by their data model, which is a proprietary data model. Uh, They are reporting, though, that they will charge an install on all installs. So if you have the game and you delete it and then you reinstall the game at a later date, there will be a charge for that install. Uh, They have said that they will be making some protections put in so people can't like install uninstall install uninstall install uninstall the game a whole bunch of times uh to basically put a developer out of business uh and they also won't be charging for the very first time a user installs a game or something along those lines it was kind of hard to understand with how they laid their stuff out so the things I find really interesting in this is <clears throat> a the studio Me- studio mega crit uh, they made the Slay the Spire game uh, has announced that they are going to be cutting all ties with Unity and are planning on migrating uh, the last two years of work on their brand new game that they've been working on to a new engine uh, unless Unity uh, completely reverts these changes and protections are put in place to prevent changes like this from ever happening again. Uh, they were one of the people who dropped an F bomb in the, in, in like in their press release. So, uh, it, it, they definitely did not hold back on that one. Um, they are also looking at, uh, or right, let me rephrase. Let me back up. Somebody should be looking at the fact that over the last couple of months, all of Unity's executives have sold tens of thousands of shares of stock in the last since August, basically. So in the last two months leading up to this announcement, all of their high level executives have dumped tens of thousands uh, into the hundreds of thousands. Like the they've dumped between fifty and forty thousand shares of stock each in the last two months. Um mm which definitely seems like people who know they're about to make a decision that's going to make a very major stock hit happening. So how that falls into uh, an insider trading type thing, I'm not positive uh, how that would drop, but it is definitely pretty suspicious to make such moves and then immediately drop something that tanks your stock price this bad. Any thoughts? Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So I, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been loosely following this one cause I've, I've seen it pop up on a lot of the gaming subreddits. So uh, a few things, one in some of their backtrack, I, I wasn't entirely clear if it sounded to me like they may have announced at this point that if you want to stay under your existing term of service, that's an option as long as you agree to no updates to your Unity build. 
And because originally their proposal was retroactive to any version of Unity that you were using. So even if you were done supporting your game, it, it could apply to the like they were totally changing the terms of service for everyone. You know, kind of like we recall discussing with Magic um, and Hasbro, yeah. I should say. And so I think I read something that they had now clarified that. It would be an option, but you wouldn't be able to update Unity. You know, if you want to stay on the old TOS, you would have to, you know, basically agree to not use a newer version or something like that. I don't know. From the way uh, it read, it, it sounded like it was anything. Basically, you could not do anything update wise. You basically had to abandon your game as of January one, and there was something yeah, else you could do, I, and then it, you would stay on the old. It's it, to me. It sounded like it was a it was an attempt to say, hey, if you're done, like if you have an old game that you don't, you're not going to all of a sudden have to pay us because the old game is still popular or whatever. If you're, but you had to be done with. It. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I also saw supposedly there was a a group of uh, developers, mostly out of Europe, that had sent a I guess a letter. Uh, as I'm sure many developers have to Unity, uh, objecting to the changes, but also as part of that, noting that they had all immediately turned off in-game ad revenue on their existing Unity games. So to start punishing the company now, I guess is the the sense of that. Makes sense. And and the third thing I recall reading again, this is this is like comment sections of Reddit. So I don't know if this is true or not, but purportedly, at least with some of the some of the gamers out there are blaming the well, I'm sure the CEO is behind a lot of this, but I guess purportedly the CEO for Unity used to be with EA and purportedly he tried to pull this stuff off at EA and there they wouldn't let him do it as in. One person claimed this is the guy who wanted to charge people real life money for you to buy ammo in games. <laughs> I had and not so heard that. I again, this is a Reddit comment. Is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. I didn't care enough to, to investigate it further. But if you have brought in someone who actually thought you could monetize the selling of bullets in FPS games, this would fit with that person's mentality. Because that's what it feels like, that they think they get to charge per shot. And in this case, the shot is install. Um, so my overall thought is I think this is going to blow up in Unity's face bigly. And maybe, you know, your your insider trader angle about, hey, are they doing this, liquidating and planning to buy, you know, are they going to try and buy the stock back when it's all super cheap because they're going to crush their stock value because Unity is going to all of a sudden become very unpopular as a as a build option. Because the tough thing is, of course, those who are currently supporting projects or have projects underway, people thinking about starting new projects, I think a lot of them are just going to be like, you know what, we're just going to unreal's looking kind of nice let's right. just shift let's just find another engine there are plenty out there so i this seems yeah this is like right up there post hasbro with the most interesting like blunder um i don't know if unity is just like hurting for cash that badly or if this ceo is just absolutely obsessed with the idea that we can monetize on a much more aggressive scale and no one can do anything about it but I don't think that's true. I think he's wrong. I think he may have thought people were locked in and had no choice, but I this this seems really dumb to me. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if they're having 
monetary issues, they there's ways they can go about restructuring their uh, accounting and everything. I'm sure they could raise their fees, but going, going at it this direction, this route is just crazy because of the simple fact that if you uninstall a game and reinstall it later, they get charged again for the fact that you uninstalled and reinstalled a game. And quite frankly, sometimes it happens uh, when you're playing a game, like a modded version of a game that if you want to remove the mods, one of the things you automatically do is you uninstall the game and you reinstall the game to make sure all the mods are cleared out before you can play vanilla again or install new mods or go about it however you want to go about it. Uh, And for them to get charged every time somebody does that is a little insane to me. So, And, hey, uh, this part I also read that they had thought, and this might give you a few more Hasbro vibes, that this change, like with the install fee when it kicks in, was only going to like affect, I don't remember, somewhere between 10 and 15% of the people, of the developers using Unity. Yeah. So again, kind of like a lot of those Hasbro changes, which seem to be designed for a very specific type of entity making products that relied on, I said magic earlier, but I should have said like D&D stuff, because uh, that's what it was, you know, those additional things, like they were trying to target just a few companies purportedly again i didn't read the original source material on this the their unity's thought was that this per new game install threshold was only going to involve like 15 percent of the entities that use their product but as we've learned before that doesn't matter people will read this really broad language and this really nebulous talk with no specifics and be like this is going to affect me and i'm concerned about it and we're going to do something about it so right well and the fact that the way they talked is that threshold is based completely around a game's success so you could be a tiny little indie developer who kicks out a game that costs ten dollars that suddenly blows up you know you could get an among us or something like that that goes suddenly huge and that could trigger into this so yeah i it just i i uh, I mean, I'd say good luck to them, but I'm I'm not really keen on them being successful with this attempt. So, I I think this is gonna I think this is gonna end very badly for Unity. I don't think we're gonna see the same comeuppance like we had, where Hasbro basically I mean, Hasbro did the right thing in the end, completely capitulated, and then put in added protections so people knew they would never be able to do it again. I don't think we see that out of Unity. But I think Unity has a lot more to lose than Hasbro even did. I I agree with you. And I don't think we'll see that out of Unity. Now, this does make me think, are they intentionally trashing their stock prices uh, for like a buyout or something? Because the executive, the executive sold all their stock off while the prices were high. Then they intentionally trash the prices that opens them up for purchasing uh, even through just a straight up stock takeover. I, I mean, and I don't know all the, the nuances of that style of business. I normally though, if you wanted to be bought, I would have thought you want your share price to be as high as possible. And then they just, they hold their shares. Unity gets sold and then they make a whole bunch of money because the share price and the deal was agreed upon whatever, when it was at an all time high. With this, I my guess would have been more along like if there was nefarious stuff going on that if they if they wanted to, if they thought, 
let's do this. We know it's going to trash the price. So we sell our shares, make a bunch of money. The price falls. We buy our shares back and then we re-raise the value. But what's the, I don't know what the third step is where they think they recover the value. Like, do they say, yeah, let's sell it all off. This, we make these changes. Our share price falls through the floor. We buy it all back and then we undo the changes. And then now we have more value. We just got free money. But like, uh, they're not going to unring that bell right. as cleanly as that. So, um, cause normally with the, unless the execs again, it, cause there are so many other shareholders that are going to be downright upset who didn't sell their shares. If there's a takeover when it's now worth even less than before. Like, I don't see who, who's supposed to make them like it hurts everyone else other than the execs. If they try and do that, and then people might call them out on it. So I don't, I don't know why they would want the value to go down. It's kind of like the whole thing with Elon Musk and Twitter. Twitter, The whole thing with the Twitter's position was when he wanted to back out of the deal or redefine the deal, he had agreed on a share price above the value of the company. So that's why they held his feet to the fire on. You have to buy it while it's high. That's when the takeover is the best for the people being taken over, right. not when it's low. So I, I think to me, it's, I don't think there's a long-term play on that. I think if there's what they could be accused of, it's probably as simple as we know these changes are going to be unpopular. So let's sell our shares while they're high. I think it's just that simple because they knew the shares weren't going to stay high once they said, Hey, we're going to do something that's going to, you'd have to have been pretty stupid to think that like all the developers were going to be okay with this. Oh so. yeah. I think that's why they did the sales were to line the pockets. I just didn't know if there's a possibility that, like you said, there was a step three in there. If maybe they want, I mean, even if the executives wanted to come back in and take over a controlling portion, uh, now, the stocks- now some of it could be, yeah, there could be, if they like long-term, one of the things that maybe they, again, I, I don't know all the nuance of this, but, if they think there's too many outstanding shares, that could maybe be the strategy. They drop their share value down, and then the company buys a bunch of the excess shares back to retire them so there are fewer shares, raising the individual value per share higher. That's something this, – the, this way they're doing it is different than the way I've usually heard it, where a lot of people – a lot of companies, I should say, coming out of the pandemic – had raised, you know, they'd raised all these costs because of the supply chain issues. And then when the supply chain issues alleviated, they kept their prices high. You keep hearing about all these companies with record profits and then they do stock buyback. Right. They do stock buyback to, to retire shares. So that maybe instead of, hey, we got a whole bunch of money because we're charging a ton of people stuff and we're using that to buy back shares, the whole let's trash the shares and then we'll use cash and buy We'll buy that out, so then we raise the value of the shares to all the shareholders that way, and then maybe undo it, and then the stock goes back up. I don't know. It just the the hardest part is the whole stock goes back up plan because it seems like once you've burned that bridge, it's hard to unburn that bridge and to get your prices back up and to rewin trust. Uh, just ask Hasbro how well that's working for them. Cause even with them going completely repudiating everything and, 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 and flipping, they're still have opened competitors up to them. Paizo still has gone their own way. Uh, all sorts of theirs. They're still down on more than they were before they started that whole mess last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normally I, I would think the main thing would be, they wouldn't get it back up to normal, but, but, 
if they do a share buyback, that would help with some of it because normally if the value of the company is the same, which it would be regardless of the number of shares out there, the supply of the shares is lower. So the share price goes up because of that. Right. So the company does buy back a lot of that. That that could do it. Um, and let's see, I'm, I'm looking at a little guide here because I'm really not familiar with the strategy because I don't work in the corporate world. But let's see, another advantage if they did the share buyback would be the earnings per share would go up because of a reduction in outstanding shares as well. That makes sense too. So um, and then let's see, third reason noted is shareholders who don't sell their shares during a buyback, that would include what shares the executives still have in this instance, don't make a cash return and therefore they don't have to pay any tax. Hmm. Interesting. So this is an example. This is from Santender.com. I don't know anything about the site. For instance, a listed company has a thousand shares of which a shareholder owns 100 or they have 10% of the company. The company runs a share buyback program to purchase 100 shares, which reduces the total number of shares to 900. That shareholder stake then rises 1.11%, meaning they now own 11.11% of the company and will be entitled to a greater share of the company's profits because they own more of the company now. And they don't have to pay so, taxes because they didn't do anything to. Right. They didn't make a t- cash return because they didn't sell their shares. And normally when you sell shares, you have to pay tax on right. it. So, but they actually uh, raised all that value um, because they, they didn't make a cash return on it. So there's no tax applied to them, but they now actually have more valuable shares and get more of the revenue share, like the dividend split. Interesting. Now they pay tax on the dividend split, of course, because they're getting more of that. But basically, it's like a, a way to own more of the company without actually having taken any action, I guess. So I'm not saying that's what they're doing. That's just the one thing I could that came to my mind that maybe would fit like long term right. beyond just, hey, we know it's going to go bad. I want money now. Let's sell now because this may never get back up to what it was, which is the simplest answer. Be like, yeah, we know we're gonna what we're doing. Uh, so let's take our cash now and, and we'll we'll go ahead and we'll put that money into Apple instead. Yeah, we'll buy some. We'll we'll take it back. Yeah, we'll buy a we'll, we'll buy a well-run company. <laughs> Somebody better than us. So one last and what is potentially one of the largest affecting things on video games in quite a while. SAG-AFTRA has voted to send a strike authorization uh, vote to members of in the intera- interactive media segment ahead of the upcoming bargaining dates with the video game companies. Mm. So uh, one, and that was a unanimous vote to send that authorization out. So once the, as I, as I read it, once the, the rank and file vote on it, uh, the SAG after members in the video game business will be on strike as well as all of the current SAG after in the movie and TV uh, and like voice acting spaces. So, and that's been an ongoing strike for quite a while. I know uh, we've spoken about it in, in, in the past, roughly, uh, we watch a lot of Star Trek and stuff like that. All the good, all the Star Trek series have been real good uh, lately, other than the one. Uh, but they've all finished their seasons or, or currently airing, and there is no known date when any of that stuff's going to come back uh, because of the ongoing writer strike and SAG after strike that shows absolutely no 
uh, hints of ending. They're not even really having serious conversations at this time. So the, the whole movie and TV space is about to get real quiet. Uh, just like it did a number of years ago when the last writer strike happened, uh, there was a rough year or two to bounce back. The interesting thing is here is how much of the issue will be the bounce backs considering they've just started or because of what, how COVID was video games shot. So huge during COVID movies and TV had such issues and took a little bit of time to bounce back. So it'll be kind of interesting to see. Yep. This could have a pretty big impact on a lot of entertainment, but we're, we're seeing a lot of interest in this space right now. I think a lot of it's driven by inflation uh, for a lot of workers. Cause I'm thinking of the auto worker strikes that are now underway Correct. in select plants, but in this space, in the creative space, there's also, I know, a lot of the concern about AI and, you know, changes in how distribution of media has has worked and how that revenue sharing functions. So it's even more complicated, I think, in entertainment. So I'm not particularly surprised that this is going to uh, to come up with the negotiations with the video game companies. We'll just have to see if those companies are actually going to be less recalcitrant compared to their TV and movie peers. Yeah, and I have no real sense if they will or not. I know uh, from some of the other stuff I've read, like you said, the revenue sharing on like streaming services compared to on-air airings of shows is insane. Because uh, I know people who have watched every single episode of a series uh, multiple times. They do it multiple times a year. Uh, and then you hear about the people talking, the actors talking or the writers talking, and they might get, somebody might watch the entire series five times in a year. They might make a nickel off of it, but that exact same show airing on an aired television station will make them a hundred dollars or whatever. Mm. Uh, and it's just because of how the revenue share is broken up. And then, like you said, the AI, I think the AI space, especially for writers, uh, is going to be a huge thing. And it sure seems like from a lot of the stuff I've read, that is one of the things that is being heavily pushed back upon by the studios are the AI restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seemed to be to me that one of the bigger hangups on the me on the movie and TV space is the desire. They don't want to cave on the AI. They want to use it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I don't know if that's the biggest sticking point, but that was the vibe I had. And I imagine writing on video games is going to run into a very similar situation. So, yeah, I'm not optimistic that it resolves quick, but we'll see. I I would be surprised. I honestly, at this point, I don't see any uh, uh, clear sky on the horizon coming in from this run. I think this is going to be an ongoing issue. Because uh, as I recall, the last big strike, you heard about some stuff moving forward a, um, a couple months into the strike, and we're way past that, and we've not really heard of any movement uh, to the point where there's even been extended periods of times where they're not even talking. So, Yep. But we will cover the future of that here because Tony and I are scabs, and we're still working. Yeah. I mean, we're not part of the union and we're not doing any work that would be considered scab work to that union. But yeah, but for a mere dollar a month, we work at pretty low scab like rates. 
through our Patreon. Very that's true. How it is. Well, that's all I have. Uh, Okay. For today. Well, we had quite a full episode. I think we did pretty good. So you all can let us know if we did do good or not by emailing us eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast and leave a message there. Or you can support the channel and our scab-like wages, uh, wages I should say, at uh, patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers. We're available on Twitch and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with all the latest fun tidbits and news and everything you can possibly handle until you burst. But until then, my name is Dennis. I'm Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.